Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Ed here. Welcome to another drop of Digital Voices. Today, I have my friend, Paul Shrimp. And he is an awesome person and podcaster. And so you'll get to know a lot more about him, what he does, who he is, as well as a little bit about his podcast that you should listen to if you don't already. But before we jump right in, I'm bringing in our producer, Megan. And so we ask everyone this question, Megan, but we've never asked you the question that we're going to ask Paul. And that is, What's on your playlist? Mm, music playlist or podcast playlist? Well, you can go either way. I could tell a little bit of both. Lately, I don't know if it's just because we just got back from San Antonio, but yesterday when I was knocking out some work, I was listening to a lot of Miranda Lambert. <laughs> but podcast-wise, I am a big true crime fan, so I love all audio truck productions, especially Crime Junkie. Ashley Flowers is fantastic. She actually just wrote a book too that I've already read. Oh, wow. That's cool. Super interesting. Well, you're going to add another podcast to your playlist called Changemakers and we'll get and get into that in just a little bit. But Paul, so glad that you've joined me and I want to welcome you to Digital Voices. It is fantastic to join you here, Ed. Looking forward to the conversation. So we've met just virtually. I'm not sure we've ever met in person. So it's we're both podcasters and both healthcare professionals. And so we obviously run, bump into each other in the various virtual circles. And you seem like a pretty interesting person. And as I investigated and we've talked before, it's like, yeah, Paul is pretty cool dude. He's got a lot of uh, super insights in the way I look at things, you know, from consumerism and marketing and tech and digital. So it'll be a fun conversation. Yeah. Looking forward to it. There's a, there's a number of people I've been meeting over the last few years where, and I think the podcast play a big role into it is, is you get to consume a little bit of their thinking and their style. And you, before you meet them going, I like this person, we right. might have a lot of intersecting interests. So you're one of them. And I've got a number of those in my lives now, which is fun with this new era. Yeah, it is because you could never meet all these different people. Like even if you were all at the same conference, you you know, there's so many people and everyone's doing different things. But in the virtual world, you kind of, you know, get it synchronously and asynchronously. And I think it really yeah, it helps make connections and relationships. So just like I asked Megan, Paul, and actually I was thinking along the lines of music, but if you wanted to pick podcasts, you could do that as well. But what's on your playlist? Like, what do you like to listen to when you just chill? Yeah, I was expecting to go with the music one, but I do want to underscore the Ashley Flowers work. She also has a great little podcast on presidents and presidential history that I've, I've geeked out on as well. But on my music playlist right now, I'm having a fun one. I'm all deep into African music right now. So Baba Mal is in big rotation. You know, there's a lot of great soundtracks out there. Constant Gardner soundtrack, Hotel Rwanda soundtrack, but um, I am planning a big family trip to East Africa and safari. Also ha be able to bring my family to the nonprofit I work with, the Water Trust out of Uganda. So as I've been planning this trip for next summer, uh, I've been getting in the mood and really just, you know, doing a deep dive in a lot of African music. So that's what's on my playlist right now. Oh, I love that. So tell me about what other countries will you be hitting in East Africa? Uh, yeah, so I'll be hitting uh, Uganda, which is where the Water Trust operates out of. We'll be starting there. And then I've been to East Africa 
America a number of times, but I've never been to the Serengeti. I've been kind of waiting to, to bring my family there and experience with my family. So we'll be doing the Serengeti in the Kenyan part of the Serengeti. And then one of my favorite places on earth, which is just sounds exotic just to say, is, is Zanzibar. So Zanzibar is part of Tanzania. Yes. Uh, but we'll be checking out some East African beaches on there and, and really giving my permission giving myself permission to indulge a little bit, but it's, uh, it's, it's a logistically tricky vacation, but it's been one I've been thinking about for a very, very, very long time. So that's on the itinerary. Wow. That, that sounds like a whole podcast in itself that what a, <laughs> and a, to do it with your family and share that experience. That'll be incredible. I have some experience as well in some of those same countries and they were just game changers for us in terms of that experience. So that's cool. And, and no one has mentioned after 144, for podcasts, none of our guests had talked about African music specifically. So I took some notes here. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. I love music from all different cultures, and uh, actually, a lot of our music today, obviously, you know, yeah. has African roots. I was gonna say one of, one of the best segues is uh, Baba Mall. He's actually Senegalese, so he's actually West African. But he Mumford and Sons did a great collaboration. But if you look up Baba Mall and Mumford and Sons, there's some really great. Like if you're not if you're new to African music, it's a nice gateway into that that world. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely looking it up, and I was just saying that. When I was in, in the 80s, I was sort of a punk rocker slash new wave-ish. Mm-hmm. And one of my hero bands, and I still see him, he's still around today, go around the country, is Adam and the Ants. Yes. And, you know, they had these a few hit songs like Stand and Deliver and Goody Two Shoes. Mm-hmm. And the drumming, you know, is very interesting. They had two drummers, which was sort of their unique shtick. And, yep. But it all has its roots directly to African drumming. And now that you mention that, I've never connected the dots, but I'm listening to all the, the Adam Ant songs in my head right now. And you're yeah. so right. Yeah. Yes. Because I, mean, I was at a concert, I think, with him and he was explaining it. And it was like so fascinating. Anyways, we could talk a lot of obviously yep. about, about music in Africa. What about your passions or life message or mantras or something sort of like a guiding principle or, or quote or something that guides you? Yeah, these are always funny questions because I'm not a favorites guy or have one thing guy, but I, I understand <laughs> the need to have these now in more conversations. But in terms of like my mantra, it would be, it would be very much shaped around, you know, learning from the past, plan for the future, but enjoy the present. I'm somebody that um, likes to be aware of what's worked and what's not and, and be kind of a lifelong learner. I'm always fixated on on where to go next because most Americans are. But I think one of the the pieces where I've, I've had to really look work really hard on is just to take moments and enjoy where I'm at because we get caught up too much with where we're going and I guess it's maybe as I, as I get older, every time I look back at my life going, oh, those are the days. But if I really think about myself in those days, I was too worried about what was next. And I didn't kind of just pause once in a while, not be kind of overindulgent and sloppy. But again, learning from the past, plan for the future, but enjoy today and, and not put too much onus in, I'll get to that when I retire or I'll get to that some other time, but, but try to get a nice blend of responsible forward looking and planning, but also just, you know, stopping to smell the roses once in a while. Yeah. And Paul, I love that. Do you have any technique or ritual or something that you do to, to sort of, you know, pause and smell the roses? Is there something you do intentionally? 
to make that happen. Pausing to give myself permission to take care of myself or indulge a bit. Like we just riffed on Africa. Like when you actually add up what I'm about to spend to go to Africa to bring my family there, it makes no sense. There's no ROI, but it's something where I'm just like, you know what? This is something I've wanted to do. It's something I've been saving up for, but I'm trying to uh, give myself permission to not explain away so many things and just say, you know what, just enjoy it. Just yeah. enjoy it. And, but just, just pausing once in a while and, and be, and be thankful little tactics I've picked up or I don't do them all the time, but I, I learn them from colleagues of just like daily thank yous, you know, wake up in the morning and just what should we be thankful for? Yeah. And those little things help quite a bit. Yeah. No, those are good. I think you're spot on. It's very important to do. And we don't give ourselves permission to do those sort of things. And, and another thing that I would do every once in a while with my teams, I'm like, you know, your teams are not forever, right? Because people move on, they get other opportunities, you get other opportunities, you know, things happen naturally in Mm -hmm. careers. And so sometimes when I'm with my team, I'm just, let's just take a moment and just sit here in the moment. And just be yeah thankful and appreciative of one another because this is like an amazing team, you know, and we're doing some amazing things and we won't always be together just because life happens. And let's just like take a deep breath and like just I don't it's so hard to describe, but just like yeah. uh, immerse yourself in, in one another and, and the unique circumstance that you're in, because you're right. Stuff happens. You know, I've been in I'm, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have near death situations or you get that cancer diagnosis or something mm-hmm. horrible. And, you know, so go ahead and spend that money. Go ahead and take right. that. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, right. yeah. That wasn't what we were talking about, but you know, you're a very uh, unique individual and very thoughtful person. So happy to dive into those different areas. But tell us a little bit more about yourself. I mean, it could be personal, professional, a mix of both, but you know, who are you, Paul? It's funny. I get so Freudian when I actually think about who am I and how I came to be, but it's I'm learning more and more of who I am was shaped at an early age and kind of where I grew up. So I grew up in a small business household, which was interesting because I have a mindset or kind of upbringing that I would describe as it sits between white collar and blue collar. So my parents ran real estate properties. They owned a gravel pit. They ran a ready-mix concrete plant. But there was something unique as I you know, channel them, particularly my dad, that would go to work during the day at a gravel pit and run the bulldozers and drive the dump trucks. But he also owned it. So it was this interesting, you know, I'd see my dad be able to run a business, but also fix his own cars. And it was this interesting kind of cocktail of an upbringing. And I'm noticing it kind of comes back to me over and over again is, is that I've got this interesting blend of kind of strategic thinking, but also this get stuff done. Uh, because when you run a small business, particularly like I will just take the gravel pit because it's a very easy example to get. If nobody came to work that day and a truck came up and needs a load of gravel, the CEO needs to go hop in the loader and load the truck. You just, that's what you did. Uh, you literally got your hands dirty right. <laughs> doing it. There's that aspect of that. I'm becoming more comfortable and a lot more public growing up dyslexic. I'm not a severe dyslexic person, but I've I've got a household of dyslexic people that fortunately for me, being the youngest of my family, got diagnosed early on. But there's also kind of one recognizing how I absorb information and process information. Then when you pair that with just kind of growing up when I did, which is not much being known, there's still not much being known or thought about all the different coping mechanisms that you get when 
when you're trying to counteract a nuance in your personality. So that's developed a lot of interpersonal humor in my family, or, or you'll see a lot of humor that comes through me. I think it's more of a coping mechanism, but we as a family unit always learn that if you can get people laughing, you can have really authentic conversations. And if you have good authentic conversations, you can have good business conversations. So being able to run a business, have dialogue. But if I'm in a business meeting and nobody smiled in 15 minutes, I just have to crack a joke to let the air out. It's this, it's this technique of mine. And I don't know how it came about, but this kind of, uh, when you, when people say, what's your story, what's your style? It's this weird cocktail of like jack of all trades, get things done with a little bit of a laughter woven into it. But I still have a hard time succinctly describing who the heck I am and, and what I'm all about. But after people get to know me going, oh, it's typically Paul. Like they know Paul and they see Paul, but they can't really describe me and I can't describe me. <laughs> no, that's great. So with your dad in the gravel pit, were you ever able to, to uh, like run the bulldozer or any of the uh, heavy equipment? I was a little bit uh, young at the time when we had it. The funny thing about gravel pits, they don't make a lot of money. <laughs> so idea of learning from your failures was an abundance in my household. But as many people say, you just need a few big ones to, to get by. And, and we did, but it did have a, a, a big playground. So I was the, I was easily able to sit on my dad's lap as I drove the car around open fields. And yeah. there was, um, a little, as you kind of excavate and dig out gravel, whatnot from the creek bed, we had a, a small little pond, but it was big enough to ride a speedboat. So our weekends, we'd go up to the gravel pit and go skiing and do water sports. But it was weird sitting on a beach because it's gravel pit, there's plenty of sand. But in the background, there's just, you know, gravel crushers and equipment. But we had spent the, the, the day at the lake, which was the day at the gravel pit. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I was just thinking, you know, as a kid growing up, with that sort of background, like you could go around and yeah, like you said, you have this big playground stuff. That's pretty funny. It's also pretty interesting because I, I find myself the same way where I can be strategic for sure, but mm -hmm. I'm also a doer, you know, mm -hmm. so I don't want to pontificate on strategy and then not be the person who like can never get their hands dirty. And, and it sounds like you're exactly the same way. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a bit about profit. I know that's an organization where you serve. Tell us a little bit about profit and what your role is. I'm one of our leaders in our healthcare practice. So profit is not healthcare exclusive, but about 20 to 30% of our business in a given year is healthcare. So we do quite a bit of it. And then I sit in, for those less familiar with consulting or management consultant, consultancies, I need some editing here to get my mouth right. Uh, so hopefully I can set it out. Yeah, well, is there's industry verticals, just think of a matrix. And then there's horizontals or what we kind of call our, our, our product offerings, what we call them platforms. So it's my responsibility to kind of oversee and link all the different things that Profit does, make them relevant for healthcare, stay in front of the trends at healthcare. So as we think about the, the skill sets and the talent that we have in the organization, how do we bring that to solve problems? And everything in our portfolio is wrapped around the idea of growth. So we're not an organization that you call for cost cutting or for operating operations integration or to run an IMO after a, a merger and acquisition, when the businesses kind of stalled or going in reverse, how do we think about unlocking what we call uncommon growth? Or do we have the right purpose and brand in mind, which is just, we just need to get oriented. More often than not, that's usually, usually is not the problem. It's more, how are 
are we able to deliver on that? What's the customer experience? Do we have the right operating model? Do we have the right products and services? Are we even designed in a fundamental way? Because with a management consultancy, most of our clients, most of our revenue comes from organizations that are, you know, well over 50, 60, sometimes 100 years old. And the core infrastructure of their operating model was designed for a different century. So you could only wrap so many things around an old operating model before you have to kind of retool a lot of things. But that's what profit does. So when we kind of go into healthcare, there's a lot of work that we're doing more what what we're calling collaborative innovation. So the world doesn't need another widget made within a company. and uh, We don't need more apps for each company. The biggest problem with healthcare, in our opinion, is the fragmentation of it, the self-navigation. But how do we start developing innovative solutions that sew the healthcare experience together, not just for your own business, but for Uh, how we connect to other businesses and understand patient flow. I'm often a critique of the patient continuum. We don't have a patient continuum. We've got a set of lily pads and the patient has to figure out how to get from one lily pad to another. So we do a lot of work with people, you know, multiple companies that are experts in diabetes to say, how do we solve diabetes or obesity? And then a lot of work just around, again, how we develop innovation. There's, there's people, you probably know this quite well with your old CIO hat, is the idea of product development. That function doesn't really exist in a health system. It kind of falls into most CIOs' laps, but there's a chunk of CIOs that want that responsibility, and there's a chunk of CIOs that don't have that skill set. So what is the modern product management, product development, innovation team of an organization that sometimes doesn't even exist um, in some teams? So that's kind of just a sampling of kind of what profit does and I kind of just connect all the dots for profit to my healthcare clients. No, that that's awesome and, and very much needed. And, you know, some of the key words you just used, Paul, you know, around experience and brand and how important that is. And certainly from a digital tech and, you know, healthcare, we don't often think about those things. And we mm-hmm. have created this lily pad. That's a great analogy, lily pad sort of uh, pond. And mm-hmm. yeah, I can see where profit fits in. Can you give like one example, like a success story, how you help someone in terms of, you know, connecting all those dots and innovation, things like that? Yeah, for sure. I I think there's, um, I got, I tell people, I don't, I didn't have a front row seat. I didn't have a second row seat to a lot of the things that, that happened at Watson Health. It's now Meredith and I'm so happy for that team because for those that don't know the arc of Watson Health, they took six incredibly successful data and analytics companies and then pulled it into IBM and then tried to launch some de novo stuff on it. And then the de novo stuff didn't really take and kind of got a little bit of dirt on it. But this whole time, you still have the, the, the legacy businesses that had great products and solutions that are widely used. So that's now Meredith, which is often running and, and already showing some great signs of success. But when we were with, working with Watson Health, the interesting thing was, is, oh, we've got a brand problem. Like, well, I don't think you got a brand problem, but we'll help you with your brand. Like, well, we've got a messaging and a value prop problem. Okay, but then as we kept kind of excavating, we'd find things saying, well, the reason you've got a brand problem is because you've got a value prop problem. The reason you've got a value prop problem is because you don't have product market fit for this. And the reason you don't have product market fit for this is you've got a product development team that's not designed to actually create successful products. And we had to kind of step back with a life sciences team and say, how do we actually design a team that can develop more successful products? So we actually had a chance to help Watson Health launch its only six or not only its first successful 
de novo product, but it was around how do we create product development teams that made sense. And the spoiler alert there is you have to run a different model for product development for a new product than a mature product. So if we take one of their best products out there, which is Micromedics that came from Truven, the team that you need to run that is a mature, established, formalized process team. If you're launching a product from scratch, you need three people wearing different hats. But if they have to kind of hand things off to engineering and programming and it gets wonky, but, but those were some things where it's like understanding that businesses are not startups or mature products are startups are mature. And if you have a greater mix of startup products and you're a startup business, but you cannot develop a startup like product when you're running a team that's designed to manage mature products. And that was some really interesting ahas because that tension point was causing so much problems for IBM at the time that it was great to kind of break that log jam with a few teams and get some successful products out the door. Yeah, no, that's a great example. And, you know, a lot of times... In healthcare, when I think about providers specifically or payers, we're not thinking like this. We're not thinking because we, we don't have that history of thinking about heavy marketing and experience and brand. And I can see how, you know, that sort of thought and capability that you all bring can really help these organizations sort of through that brave new world that they're dealing with and forced to compete with companies that are really good at this. Right. Outside yeah. disruptors. They're really good at this and we're not as good. And so we need to do just like we have on the clinical side and continuous improvement yeah. and gotten better and high quality care. We need to do the same now with our whole marketing and branding and bringing all these pieces together and the development. Yeah, this is, is yeah. And it's an interesting space in the healthcare because there, I believe there are two very different ways of doing innovation in healthcare. There is clinical innovation, do no harm, be extra cautious, be prudent, do peer reviews, and they know test, 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 and launch. And then there's a plenty of things in healthcare that I would say are non-clinical that can be embracing very traditional ways of innovation that we see in other categories, which is launch it and see how people are using it and adjust it in market. You can do that with a scheduling platform. Nobody's going to get hurt if they have to call the 800 number because the scheduling platform's down. But if we can kind of do some things that are more agile, quite literally, um, in non-clinical spaces, we can be bringing innovation to market much, much, much faster. But we tend to inject it with a bias with clinical innovation as we're doing drug development, which has a higher safety and criticality right. in terms of what we're doing. And that's, that's another yeah. conversation we have lots of as well. Yeah, Paul, that, I think that really makes all of this very clear for our listeners is, yes, we've grew up, especially if we're provider side, grew up in this, you know, high safety conscious risk adversiveness, which is appropriate for that clinical world. But mm -hmm. as we've morphed now into other things beyond just clinical, we, we can't have that same model. It's got to be more agile, as you were describing. I am proud of our marketing team where I serve because yeah. I'm a big believer, sort of an agile and was doing that, you know, on the, when I was back mm -hmm. on the provider side, but they struggled a little bit at first because I was like, just get, you know, make it nice. Of course, we don't want to put anything out, you know, that has mm -hmm. tons of rejects, but we don't have, it doesn't have to be perfect. So to their credit, they came up with this term, you know, how we have MVP viable product in agile. They came up with MVM, minimally viable marketing. <laughs> yes. I love it. So it's like they put stuff out and I said, it's okay that a week later we iterate. It's okay. You know, no one's going to totally. have taken a snapshot and come back the next week and say, wait, that font is different or, you know, wait, 
you had seven offerings last week and now you've got eight. You know, no one's going to care. For sure. I mean, marketing is like a, a prime example and we'll still be doing our marketing work and people getting, well, is this word right? Or are people going to be upset? I'm like, just run both ads digitally. Which ones get better traction? Change it. If people get upset by us calling them healthcare heroes, then change the word. If they like the healthcare heroes, leave it as is. Let them, nobody's going to get hurt right. if, if a physician goes, I'm not a hero and gets offended at our language as if they're reading it as intently as we are. But that's stuff that, again, it's more culturally of an aspect, which is what we do a lot of work on as well. But to your point, just roll it out there and yeah. and let the market tell if it, tell us if it's working or not. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Wow. So, Paul, let's shift a little bit. You're a fellow podcaster. In fact, I believe you've been podcasting way longer than I have. So, tell us about your podcast. I think you have one or two podcasts. And then uh, I've got some other questions around, you know, differentiation, but tell us about the two. One that kind of got it all started is my personal podcast. I call it microdosing. And, and I'll, I'll spend a little time talking about that and I'll toggle over to the one that's uh, profit branded under healthcare change makers. But microdosing came about through a number of different thoughts, very much in a, in a modern product development mindset, which is it kind of triangulates. I wish it was linear and structured, but I always have these thoughts and these opinions and also comments that I want to be telling my clients. But if I, if I tell them at the wrong time in a certain meeting, they know it's about them and they'll take offense and that's counterproductive to what we're right. trying to get out of a given session. But the tipping point for me was... I was listening to a panel conversation. It was when I was kind of geeking out and trying to figure out Clubhouse, which I'm not too much of a into anymore, but I was, I love social media platforms. I try to bounce around with them and if they stick, they stick. But I was listening to a panel conversation of physicians and I looked down, I was 20 minutes in, they were still doing introductions and they were beginning to debate whether it was a triple aim or quadruple aim or quintuple aim. And I'm like, we haven't talked about anything substantive, and this is too long-winded. At the same time, my colleague that I, I steal a lot of podcasting styles from or learnings from, Matt Zucker, was doing a rural New York podcast called City It, which is just fun. It was for his community that he lives in. But it was only like seven, eight minute long episodes. I'm like, oh yeah, there are no rules in podcasting. I can make a seven to eight minute episode. It's what I want to listen to. It's what most executives want to listen to. So I created microdosing to talk about a specific topic in healthcare that is probably indicative of a bigger trend, but it's about a product, a person, a business. It's just, we get on, we talk about it, we make the points, or if I'm op-edding, I'll make two or three points, drop in some facts, and we're done. And it's the anti-long-winded philosophical healthcare content that I think we get too much of. And it's kind of like the the anti-version of that, if I'm to, to kind of put a sharp point on that. No, I love it. And so you also have the the profit branded change makers. Yeah. So with a lot of our work, as I mentioned earlier with profit is change in healthcare is coming from a lot of different angles. I think most of the disruption is coming from startups becoming comfortable with the term for the fact that when I look at Amazon and Walmart health, I think our retailers of the world are figuring out healthcare faster than healthcare is figuring out consumerism. And there is a rare breed of people that are entrepreneurial, that are ambitious, that want to drive change, that are in big organizations. So to be a little hyperbolic, 
for a number of reasons, many of them actually pretty good. Most big organizations breed out risk taking. And when you're ambitious and you want to do some cool stuff, I'm learning more and more of the people that I like that fit that profile are leaving big enterprises and going to the startup world because they can move faster. And you can, I often joke, it's sometimes it's easier to ask a private equity firm for $10 million to do something cool than it has to get is to get a $10 million budget out of a global conglomerate to do it. But they exist. So we go after these change makers because profits built for change makers, industry agnostic. We have, we have probably more success there outside of healthcare, but we want to celebrate who these people are because it's more than just a playbook, a framework, things that you can read in articles, but the stories of both these entrepreneurial thinkers and disruptors and big enterprises. And we also spotlight um, people from smaller organizations. What are they going through? How are they driving change? What are they experiencing? What's some of their anxiety? What are the emotions they're going through? But that's all about about profits, uh, healthcare change makers is just people that are driving disruption and what their story is from a number of different angles in the industry. I love that. And I especially resonate with your quote on organizations breed out risk takers. And I added ambitious people, creative people, <laughs> because they're too dangerous, Paul. We're too dangerous. We're too dangerous. And there's a lot of, particularly me being out of the Midwest, not so much in Chicago, but it, is, it does it exist in Chicago. But when I go to other Midwest cities, there's a lot of people there that have their family there and they might be working for the only pharmaceutical company in that city or the only XYZ company. And if they lose that job or they need to go someplace else, they have to hold, move their family. So their main goal is to do whatever the baseline requirement and you know not let the business go in reverse, but they will stick around to, to play another day if the business is flat. If they make a bold claim and investment to grow the business forward and it doesn't work, they will likely be moved out of the organization. So, and you see the patterns, you might, you might hear words, but if you stick with an organization long enough, you will see people that take risks that don't pay out, be asked to leave the organization. And the people that take no risk will stick around. And that says a lot. That's a whole podcast episode in itself. I'd love to do that. And we actually had so much more to talk about. And this time just went by super fast because you're a super interesting person and have great stories. And and I know we spent a lot of time on African music, which I'm going to definitely download uh, later today and then listen to some more Adam and the Ant, make the connections. But this has been just super fascinating. I'm just looking over my notes and every all the, uh, the notes that I took as a result of our discussion. And I really appreciate you being on our podcast and sharing your insights and your valuable wisdom. I want to leave you the last minute. Uh, Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you want to talk about or anything you want to double down on? Um, Nothing that I want to double down on because I think I had a chance to talk to you on the Healthcare Changemakers podcast with Ed, the CIO and CEO, but I've got you with your podcasting hat on and I don't think you were able to make the rotation when I did my microdosing interviews with other healthcare podcasters. So I'll ask the one question I always punched out on. And oh, by the way, congrats on your 100th episode. I saw that went out uh, a few weeks ago. So you've been doing some great work. But if you were to go back and tell yourself one thing as a podcaster, what would that be? One thing I would tell myself as a podcaster going back to the beginning, I think just have more fun. You know, Mm -hmm. at first I was way too formal and, 
you know, it was new. And so it was, it was more stuffy. And now I just have fun. And, you know, I don't care. Like Paul, like you and I, we just went, you know, the intent wasn't to talk about music that in depth, but, you know, it was super interesting. And then, you know, we, we did that in another area too of our conversation mm-hmm. where we're talking about experience and branding and things like that. And so just go with the flow. And but yeah. early on, you know, I had to have a script and it had to be perfect. Uh, so that's the one thing. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree. I think we, you had a, a few questions that deprime me, but that was a, another thing I've taken away recently in life is I can have fun and be around fun people and do good and commercially move the agenda forward. They're not opposing forces, but it's the right. uh, same. It's just once I stopped trying to figure out the objective or the ROI of a podcast and going, I just like doing podcasts. Yeah. Things started falling into place a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally agree. Well, Paul, thank you again for being with me. You're an amazing person. Can't wait to connect in person sometime. And that wraps up our digital voices. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Martin. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.